TalkZone.com. Now, TalkZone presents Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet lighthearted look at the world of sports, featuring the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. And good morning, everybody. Neil Malone here on Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. In for the coach, John Cohn. Happy holidays to everyone as the Christmas and New Year's season approaches even closer. We're going to have an open show today. We're going to talk to a buddy of mine, Craig Choka, who I hosted a radio show with in college. And we're going to break down the Big Ten basketball season as the uh, non-conference schedule starts to close down. Hope to be jo- joined by the big dog, uh, Joel Redwanski, in the second half hour. We'll talk, uh, like I said, it's going to be a very open show. I want to possibly get into your favorite Christmas movies, uh, maybe the top sporting moments of 2010, kind of an end-of-the-year themed show. And, uh, and if we can get that going, uh, we'll do that. Otherwise... I uh, want to talk some Hawks and Bulls, both of those teams victorious last night. Also a Thursday night football game coming up tonight. Not a good one, but uh, Carolina and Pittsburgh, maybe we'll break down that a bit if we have time left in the show. But right now we are joined by Craig Choka. Uh, we hosted a radio show in college, and we're both huge Big Ten basketball fans. Craig, how are you? I'm good, Neil. How are you? Doing all right. And uh, so the non-conference season coming to a close at this point. Teams uh, like my Indiana Hoosiers, our Indiana Hoosiers, I should say, closing out the non-conference schedule in a uh, in a tournament style. A couple teams trying to sneak maybe their final pancake teams uh, in there in the mix, try to get yeah. a couple wins under their belt uh, yeah, before well, we before that, the conference season about starts. Indiana too, and then they they decided to blow it last night. But uh. yeah, exactly. The uh, the Hoosiers. Not victorious against the Northern Iowa Panthers last night in Las Vegas. We'll get to the Hoosiers uh, in a bit, but uh, I guess we should start off by by sort of breaking down maybe who we think the favorites in the Big Ten Conference are going to be. Obviously, the the Michigan States, the Ohio States, uh, potentially Purdue or Illinois. You can always toss them into the mix. Yeah. Who do you think is the favorite uh, at this point? You know, going into the year, I I actually had Michigan State. I thought Tom Izzo was returning a bunch of talent, but uh, from what I've seen there, they're really lacking in some areas. Um, you know, we've seen it in the losses. They're 8-4 and four on the year, and and they've really lost and been blown out by some of their, their better teams that they've played, uh, including uh, Syracuse and then Texas last night at home. And you really rarely ever see that out of an Izzo team, losing at home, let alone really not even competing in the game. Yeah, exactly. Um, and And it's a Texas team that, that you know they're solid, they're a ranked team, but they're not going to you know blow anybody out of the water. And uh, Michigan State has definitely looked shaky a couple times this year. Uh, even against Oakland, we saw yeah. uh, they only lost or they only won that game by one point. Yeah, they, they've they've struck. I think they're really missing um, Chris Allen, the, the the wing player that was dismissed from the team in the off season. Because if we think back on all the Michigan State teams that we've seen over the years and how athletic. They've been, and, and with great shooters, great slashes on the wings, and Izzo likes to play those two wings and run that, that offense where they just sort of circle around the post players and get the ball on the wings. And, and right now, Summers is the only guy he's gotten. I think defenses really know that where the ball is going. 
Yeah, and Craig Choka joining us uh, here on Two Guys and Mike on TalkZone.com, breaking down Big Ten basketball with me. Uh, really, I think so far the only team that we have seen in the Big Ten that maybe hasn't slipped up is Ohio State. Uh, we saw Illinois uh, lose to another local team over here, UIC. Uh, last week we saw Purdue. I, I, it's not coming to mind who they lost to. Um, early on, to Richmond. Richmond, which actually isn't a terrible loss. They've they've got some talent there, but um, it seems like wouldn't you say making it through the non-conference schedule, Ohio State has probably looked the best. Yeah, I you know they went into Florida and won that game by around twenty points. I mean they almost put up a hundred on Florida. Yeah. I think they scored ninety three, and then in the the ACC challenge, the Big Ten ACC challenge, they got Florida State. So they haven't necessarily. I mean Florida's looked pretty shaky in some games since then. Um, so Ohio State hasn't really been tested all that much in their, their preseason, pre-conference schedule. But at the same time, they haven't even come close to slipping up, as you said. Uh, I mean, they've looked very good. I, I think the only thing that's a concern is their uh, post-depth. You know, after Jared Sullinger, who's the real deal, uh, he's yeah. an absolute beast in there. Did he put up um, 40 the other night? He, he's put up 40, and he, I think he put up 32 other times. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's just an animal. No, no one can stop him. Yeah, talk about a diaper dandy, Jared Sullinger, yeah. uh, as as Dick Vitale would put it. It's looking to be uh, their starting lineup, Buford, Diebler, uh, Lighty, Sullinger, and Lauderdale. That's, that's a pretty scary lineup. While you have uh, Deshaun Thomas, the youngster, coming off the bench, um, and some other, and you can obviously shed some more light being from Ohio on this, uh, than I can, but, uh, it doesn't seem like, I mean, obviously Evan Turner left a little bit of a gap, but it doesn't seem like they're, uh, they're going to be devastated with, with that loss because of so much talent coming in. Right. I think a lot of people are saying that it's kind of addition by subtraction. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I mean, Evan Turner was a phenomenal yeah. college player and you, you can't say that they're a better team because he's gone. But it is giving some other guys an opportunity. I mean, Debo the other night had, had nine threes. And everyone was saying, you know, how's he going to get his open shots with Turner gone? Well, that obviously hasn't really been that much of an issue. Uh, Buford has looked good. Lighty has been, has been very good on the offensive end. We remember him from the Gray Godin Mike Conley run to the championship yep. game as a, as a defensive stopper coming off the bench. Um, and he's looked very good on the offensive end. And I think that the unsung hero right now is, is Aaron Kraft. Their uh, their freshman point guard who's who's not starting, but he might as well be. I mean, he's finishing the games. He's getting over 20 minutes a game. Uh, and a little plug, you know, Liberty Benton out here in the Toledo area. There you so, go. <laughs> but he's looked he's looked very good coming off the bench for them. I'm not sure if that mod is ever going to put him in the the starting lineup. Is one of those you know if it's not broken don't fix it type deals. And he's having William Buford run the uh, run the point guard right now. And I'm not sure that's the best option for the team, but I don't think Badmont is going to change his starting lineup. Now, as the conference season approaches, we're breaking down Big Ten basketball here on TalkZone.com. Two guys and a mic. Neil Malone in for the coach, joined by a good friend of mine, Craig Choka. And so we're, we've talked a little bit about Michigan State, a little bit about Ohio State, possibly um, probably the two favorites here in the Big Ten conference, but also teams uh, like Purdue and Illinois are, are probably going to have a shot with some of the talent that they have. Let's start with the dreaded Boilermakers, obviously. Um, they've got they've got a couple returning guys. Obviously, they lost Robbie Hummel uh, earlier uh, in the season, actually before the season started, to an ACL uh, issue. So 
They're definitely going to be missing him, obviously, but they've still got some good players in Etwan Moore, Jawan Johnson that have come back, and they also have Tyrone Johnson, uh, a young freshman out of uh, Indianapolis North Central, I believe. So what do you think of the Boilermakers this year, and do you think they, they're they a solid three spot? or, or uh, I don't know. Yeah I, yeah, I have them finishing fourth behind the other team you were just talking about, and that's Illinois. But, you know, Purdue is tough. I, I've seen a lot of their games, but they haven't really played the stiffest of competition quite yet. And I think that's when we're really going to see what Purdue is made of. Because Johnson and Moore, I, they're playing at all American levels, both of them. Yeah. And they've been fantastic. But can you win in the Big Ten with only two scores? I mean, on any given night, you can win in, a, in any game with only two scores. But what happens when one of those guys is off? I mean, they literally don't have a third option. Um, and I think Johnson, Jackson, uh, Russell Bird, you know, Barlow, those guys are the ones that are really missing Robbie Hummel because he just made everyone so much better and, and really opened things up for those guys. And, you know, now the defenses are able to collapse on them, and they're basically just they're getting away with it right now. But I'm not sure when defenses shut down either Johnson or Moore, really focus on one of them if the other one's going to be able to carry them. Yeah, and you have to say that if they're going to do anything, it's it's probably going to be this year, and that's what makes the, the Hummel departure to the injury so devastating was – you know, this team with him probably would have been able to to challenge uh, for a pretty deep spot into that NCAA tournament or make a deep run, I should say. Um, they'd probably ranked in the top five right now if if Robbie Hummel had not, because they'd, they'd be 12-0 and 0, more than likely. Right. And I would not have lost to Richmond. So. And, you know, soon you're going to see Jawan Johnson playing 82 games a season in the NBA and yeah. and probably Etwan Moore as well if he if he ups the level of his game. So once those guys exit, um, you know, Matt Painter, not exactly I, – he's been doing some some okay stuff on the recruiting trail, but but this is the Boilermakers' year, and, and this is – they've got some pieces in place to, to like you uh, like you and I said, maybe maybe finish third or fourth in the Big Ten. Let's move on to the, the Illini, um, and they got another tough loss last night to Missouri in the border battle. Now, Missouri's a good basketball team, uh, but – it was they looked pretty awful down the stretch in that game. Uh, made a run early in the second half, but then really let up. I don't know if you were able to catch that game at all. Um, but but Illinois, what are you thinking there? Yeah, I didn't get to see last night's game. I, I did read about it this morning a little bit. But um, Illinois, I really like what they have. They have you know both Mike's down low, Tisdale and Davis are, are are fantastic offensive players. They're very skilled, Tisdale especially. From the outside, but I'm not sure that that's the type of game. You know, if you have finesse bigs, kind of like Illinois does, yeah. I'm not sure that's the type of game that is going to be able to beat a Michigan State or an Ohio State with Sullinger, uh, even Purdue with with Johnson down low. Who uh, Johnson's not necessarily the banger, but he definitely plays inside the post. Yeah, Tisdale and Davis aren't aren't physical enough, wouldn't you say? I mean, yeah, uh, I, I think that is yeah, that's that's what, and you can't really change players at this top point in their careers. But I think that's probably going to be what causes them to fit, you know, not and yeah. not challenge in the end for the title. Well, Bruce Weber is recruiting the heck out of Illinois, and he's signing some really, really good players. the The Illinois uh, future is very, very bright. Um, they've got a couple sophomores, DJ Richardson and Brandon Paul, in the backcourt. They also have a couple freshmen, Myers Leonard, a seven-foot center, uh, as well as Jeremy Richmond, who people uh, from this area 
uh, know very well as, as he did extremely well in high school. Um, so they've got a lot of pieces in place, but last yeah. night in the game, I gotta say, uh, Brandon Paul, I don't know what he was doing at the end. He, he turned the ball over, uh, at least, actually twice in like five seconds. He, he had, it was a backcourt violation, but for some reason they missed it. And so they let Illinois take the ball out of bounds. So Paul got a, got a break there. And then the ensuing inbound pass, Illinois is down, uh, I think one point and he throws it away and one at the other end. And the, oh. the foul that Mike Tisdale commits is an intentional foul. Uh, it was a oh, little controversial. See, I, I'm so I'm glad I didn't get to watch that. That uh, bad, bad basketball plays just made me so mad. It was a complete meltdown. Uh, it ended up being a six point possession for Missouri, uh, with all that that happened with the intentional foul. Um, because off the ensuing inbound pass, they they made a basket, and then Bruce Weber got a technical, much to your oh. surprise, I know. So, <laughs> and I watched the UIC game of Illinois. That was I've seen that game and the Texas game, and their two losses as well, some of their wins. But in those two losses, I think you we talked about Tisdale and Davis kind of being finesse big guys, and it, it kind of spread over to the guard play in those games. McCamey was settling for jumpers against UIC. And he's a guy, you know, much like Eric Gordon is now. He he settled for jumpers in college, and now in the NBA, you know, taking it to yep. the hole. And McCain, he's a big, strong guy like Eric Gordon. He he should be going to the line six, seven times a game, and he shouldn't be settling for for jumpers and mid-range jumpers like he he has been a few um a few of the games so far this year. Craig Choka joining us, two guys and a mic on TalkZone.com. Neil Malone with you. We are breaking down Big Ten basketball. Now let's go to the sort of the middle of the pack, I guess you would say. And uh, you can tell me if you agree here, but I- I'm looking at teams like Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin, and Northwestern uh, sort of in these three slots. Um, any gripes with that? Uh, I-, I have Wisconsin and Minnesota ahead. I don't. I have those those top six teams in the tournament, and that's it. Okay. Um, and I actually think Indiana is going to surprise. I think Indiana is going to finish ahead of Northwestern. Okay. Um, that's my that's my you know, big prediction for the year. But uh, it's funny. I, I actually think Minnesota is the better team than Wisconsin. But I'm giving Bo Ryan the benefit of the doubt because yeah. I've said this before, and he's he's top five every year. So I love that it. Happens. I'm putting him in the top five. I I I met a, a friend this past summer for, who went to Wisconsin, and I I told him I go. There's just every something about Wisconsin athletics I just I can't dislike. I just I like Bo Ryan. I like his basketball teams. He always takes you know these these just middle of the ground high school athletes and preaches the fundamentals. They're always defensively sound and even on the football field. I mean you can't argue with what Brett Bielema does and just running over teams with John Clay and Monty Ball. I, I like the Badgers uh, football and, and basketball programs. Well, it's, but It's funny. I was looking at the All-American teams for football, and Wisconsin has a first-teamer, a second-teamer, and a third-teamer center guard tackle. Yep. Because <laughs> that's, you know, it, this is Big Ten football right there. Just line up and run over you. But, yeah, the, the names don't jump off the, the page at you in terms of Wisconsin. Uh, guys like Jordan Taylor, Keaton Nankaville, John Luer. Luer's a really good player down Luer, low. Luer might be the most underrated player in the country. Yeah, he's... And I, I say that with no joke. I mean, he might be the most underrated player in the country. Yeah, he's got the range uh, with the jump shot. He also, uh, big surprise, is fundamentally sound in the post. 
uh, can play defense. So John Luer definitely going to lead that team. How about the Gophers? Uh, they they do get uh, Al Nolan back, I believe, uh, and then they have Blake Hoffarber, DeVoe Joseph, Ralph Sampson, Rodney Williams. I mean, they've got some really good players, and they did get Trevor Mbakwe uh, after that long process um, with the NCAA, and with uh, he had a, a run-in with the law and ended up him, uh, being not guilty. But now they have Mbakwe to add to that. Um, so I think the Gophers are one of the deeper teams in the Big Ten. Yeah, outside of Ohio State and Michigan State, who are, you know, they just have depth all over, Minnesota's the, the deepest team after that, and probably the most balanced. They got four guys scoring in double figures. Uh, Harfarber, I think, just under 15 a game is leading them. And then Alan Nolan at 9.2. I mean, you basically have five guys putting up double figures a night. Uh, kind of the opposite of Purdue. You know, it's tough yeah. to shut a team like that down. Someone's going to step up and score. Um, and they got very solid post play. They, they, they can match up Colton Iverson and Ralph Sampson the third in the post. They can disappear at, in time, at times, but you know, the talent's there. They have some talented bigs. That's going to be contrary to what happened in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. They lost to Virginia at home. Oh, That's as good as they looked yeah. in North Carolina. How bad did they look in that they game? They looked very bad, Virginia. especially down the stretch in that game. But that is going to be a tough place to play against that team. Um, at Williams Arena in Minneapolis. That's going to be a very tough road game for a lot of teams in the Big Ten. Uh, let's move on to the, one of the local teams around here, the Northwestern Wildcats. Um, I've kind of gotten an opportunity uh, working at WGN uh, as the flagship, uh, being able to sort of get to know this team a little bit more. And uh, Bill Carmody has these guys playing really, really well, and they've got a couple guys that most Big Ten fans might not know uh, that are really, really good in Alex Marcatulio and Drew Crawford. You're going to know who Drew Crawford is this year uh, from the Wildcats, but they also return Juice Thompson, uh, Michael Thompson at the point guard position. They've got Luka Murkovich, and John Sherna, I think, is has potential to be uh, first, maybe probably more like second team all Big Ten. I Depending on where Northwestern finishes, I I agree with that. I mean, the guy's averaging 25 a game. Yeah. Um, and and like you said, they haven't necessarily played the toughest schedule no. yet. No, not uh, at all. <laughs> just just suffered their first loss uh, the other day to to St. John's. But yeah, eight and one on the year. They, they're looking good. But we kind of saw this last year, and they kind of struggled in the Big Ten play. I'm just not sure. You can consistently win running, I don't want to say a gimmick defense, but a half-court one-through-one, it's certainly not commonplace in a college game. Um, and while they, they force turnovers and they get teams out of their comfort zone, yep. that, that defense leads to a lot of easy baskets for the other team. And I, I think that that really hurts them in Big Ten play when they're facing uh, you know, teams that are very, very talented and can make them pay. And when you're not forcing teams to really work on offense, I mean, granted, it's, it's, you're working to get around the zone, but when you're, you know, successful in getting layups and short jumpers, I think that takes a toll towards the end of the game. Uh, Craig Choka joining us on Two Guys and a Mic. I know, Craig, you got to get out of here in about five minutes, but uh, the teams we haven't mentioned are Iowa, Michigan, Penn State, and Indiana. And I think it's fair to say, uh, give or take maybe a few positions, that that's probably going to be um, kind of the order-ish in terms of how yeah. the teams finish in the Big Ten. Um, Iowa, it, it's going to 
it's going to take a while for Fran McCaffrey uh, to do something there. And, uh, you know, Michigan, it you never know. Uh, they've got shooters and Stu Douglas and Zach Novak um, and, and, you know, guys like Tim Hardaway Jr. coming in, but I, I'm not convinced on them uh, and Penn State as well. Why don't you, just so we could talk about the Hoosiers for a couple extra minutes, why don't you give your uh, quick thoughts on those three teams and maybe uh, what you expect from them? Yeah, I'll, I'll quickly go through. Well, let's just say Iowa, new system, new coach, new players. It's yep. going to be a long year. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Penn State, Taylor Battle, about 21 a game, and then there's nothing. Right. You know, that Penn State's going to struggle too. So those are, those are the, the two worst teams in the Big Ten, I think, fair to say. Michigan, they have some talent, but they're so young. And we've seen this at Indiana, how playing youth, yeah. you're just, it's going to be so inconsistent. I mean, there are three top scorers, sophomore Darius Morris, and then freshman Tim Hardaway Jr. and Jordan Morgan. Um, that's going to really struggle. They're not going to be able to close out the Big Ten games. That team's going to go as far as, as you mentioned, Novak and Douglas. Uh, not necessarily their play, but their leadership takes them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it seems like the the couple times I've been able to catch the Wolverines games this year, it, it's been the Douglas and Novak show. And basically, if those guys make threes and lots of them, they'll be okay. But I mean, We saw it against the Syracuse playing that zone. They got a lot of threes and played them tough. Syracuse only won by three points, but then, you know, you see them go lose to UTEP. Uh, you know, they're just... They're an inconsistent team, and that has a lot to do with uh, their their scores being all youth. Ten twenty two Central here on Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. You can call in 888-463-6748. A couple more minutes with Craig Choka, a buddy of mine. We're talking Big Ten basketball. Uh, let's talk about our, our alma mater, the Indiana Hoosiers. Tom Crean obviously charged with the uh, very tough task a couple years ago of taking over this program after Kelvin Sampson. He's begun to, you know, recruit incredibly, something that has caught the eye of everybody in the nation. But not all those recruits uh, that have been hyped up uh, have arrived yet. As a matter of fact, pretty much none of them. Uh, so the Hoosiers, they've had a light schedule so far. They've done what they're supposed to do against the weak opponents for the most part. But they haven't been able to get over the over the sort of the hump, if you will, in terms of beating uh, anything but those pancake teams. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately last night we finally saw them slip up yeah. against the team they should have beaten, and that's Northern Iowa. Uh, but yeah, 9-3, and three, uh, BC at BC, Boston College that is, and then at Kentucky. You know, you never really expected to win those games. I was very pleased with how well they competed against Kentucky and, and Christian Watford that game. Um, he started forcing up some stuff at the end that it was kind of <laughs> scratching your head a bit, but he's really turning into a star uh, for the Hoosiers as a sophomore. This team, what they, I really think Jordan Holes needs to be running the point, which he is, but I don't like him paired up with Verdell as the kind of secondary point guard. Uh, yeah, because Verdell kind of takes over sometimes. And he, he, he turns it over a lot. Um, yeah. well, last night, for instance, Jordan Hole's one turnover, I think, had six. And they're playing against the same defense. Um, and, you know, I think if you have Jeremiah Rivers in there, a little bit more of a, fu- a facilitator getting the ball open, uh, Jordan Hole's shooting 54% from deep. Yep. Uh, I don't know what he's shooting from inside the arc, but I don't think I've seen him miss a shot this year. Uh, he need, he's 0 for 2 last night. That's really unacceptable. Like, he's yep. got to be taking six, seven shots a game. 
And with Verdell in there as the secondary point guard, he's, you know, they don't find holes open enough. And I think if Rivers is the guy playing, and he started to get some more playing time, I think that'll really help. Yeah, and I think the Hoosiers are, are, are deeper than a lot of people think as well. You, you know, names we haven't even mentioned yet. You have, obviously, Maurice Creek, uh, a star in the making coming back from an injury last year, Derek Elston, uh, and then a couple freshmen that, personally, Craig, and I want to get your thoughts on this before we let you go, uh, Victor Oladipo and Will Sheehy. Will Sheehy just looks like he has fun out there. He looks like... He has a lot of fun. He looks like he's very relaxed and composed as a freshman. And Victor Oladipo ha- kind of plays with that same confidence. Uh, yeah. These are two freshmen that I think are going to not only contribute this year, but they're just going to get better and better over their four years. And I think these two kids could end up being great. Well, Victor Oladipo seems to have that flair for the dramatic. Yeah. You know, we saw in the preseason game, you know, down four, he gets fouled on a three-pointer and makes it and then hits the the uh, foul shot, and then you know the half court shot that he that he hit in one of the out of conference games. So he just seems like he's he you know he just makes big plays at big times. Um, but but they're both they're freshmen. They're going to make dumb plays yep. out there. Um, and unfortunately for Tom Crean, that's still an issue that he has to play these freshmen and sophomores so often because they're still so inexperienced. Uh, and that's, I think that's what you're gonna see, why they're so inconsistent. And I will say, Derek Elston finally got inserted into the starting lineup about yep. a year later than I thought he could have been. He obviously wasn't picking up on the schemes and the offensive plays that Tom Crean was trying to instill in him, but he's finally starting and he looked really good last night. I think he had 18 points. Um, and nothing against Tom Pritchard, but he's, he's just a black hole on right. offense. Yep. And Dick Elston gives you that. He can space it. He can spread the floor, hit the three. Uh, he's an active rebounder. Um, he's an active defender, although I wouldn't quite say a good defender. Uh, but it, 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 if he can consistently give you points, that's going to really help Indiana um, and really help Christian Watford taking the load off of him uh, in the post offense. There's your breakdown of Tom Crean's Indiana Hoosiers. 2010-2011 Big Ten College Basketball Preview here on Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. Before I let you go, Craig, do you have, uh, and if you don't, that's fine, but do you have an order in terms of uh, what you think the Big Ten is going to look like at the end? I, I think it's going to end up uh, OSU, mm-hmm. Michigan State, Illinois, Purdue, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and this is this was my shock that I talked about earlier. I think Indiana's going to finish seventh followed by Northwestern, Michigan, Penn State, and Iowa. And I think those top six teams make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I think I've got Michigan. Uh, I've got Ohio State, Michigan State. Then you have Illinois, Purdue. That's followed by Wisconsin, Minnesota. I've got Northwestern at seven, uh, Indiana at eight, and then I've got Michigan, Penn State, and then Iowa. So there is your Big Ten preview. Basketball season just around the corner here at the holiday season. Craig, thanks for joining us here on Two Guys and a Mic, and I'll talk Thank to you, you soon. Thank you for having me. All right, see you later, man. All right, coming up next, we'll, we'll hopefully be joined by the big dog, Joel Radwanski. We'll keep the second hour, half hour pretty open. We want to get your thoughts on the top sporting moments of 2010, and we can also talk Hawks and Bulls, break down maybe the Thursday night game, maybe talk a little Bears as well. You're listening to Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com.
Welcome back, two guys and a mic on TalkZone.com. Neil Malone with you. I want to thank Craig Choka, one of my friends, former co-host, student radio back at Indiana University. We broke down the Big Ten basketball season that is just around the corner. But now here in the second half hour, we'll be joined by the big dog, Joel Radwanski. What's up, big dog? What's up, Neil Malone? Now, I'm not going to call you whatever coach you used to call you. I don't know <laughs> if he's come up with a real nickname for you yet. You know, he... Yeah. I had to go through that. I had to go through the first month of him calling me every single bad nickname on the planet. So I, I felt for you. He's a nickname kind of guy, and it just uh, he tried it one day, and he, it just kind of stuck for a while. So, But that's <laughs> all right. Uh, so did you watch Hawks, Bulls, any of that last night? Um, I watched a little bit of the Chicago Bulls. I watched a little bit of Boise State, Utah, and I watched uh, – every single dribble of Missouri and Illinois, and I'm not really happy about it. And I know you guys talked about college basketball, so I don't want to go into it. I just want to throw it in there. That oh, we an, can. I, I, that was an absolutely ridiculous call against Mike Tisdale to call a flagrant foul at that situation of the game. Illinois, first of all, Illinois should have got back on defense. Yep. I'm a diehard Illinois fan. I hate blaming the officials, so let's get it out there right now. Illinois needed to get back on defense. They never should have been in that situation. But secondly, oh my goodness, I don't want to bitch about the, the officials, but in that situation, you can't call a iffy call that basically ends the game with 42 seconds left. Horrible. Yeah, Horrible. That, it, you know what, I was at a bar enjoying some wings, watching that game, and at first glance, I, I was just absolutely shell-shocked that they called an intentional foul there. They showed the replay, and... I guess if you, and I, first of all, let me say I agree with you that I don't think you can make that call in that scenario. But after looking at the replay, he did extend his two arms and, and make no clear attempt at the ball. I think by definition, apparently that's an intentional foul. Now, like I said, I don't think they should call that, but, uh, you know, it wasn't even that. Illinois made a bunch of mistakes before that. I, I, I want to get your thoughts on this. I was with, uh, one of my buddies, huge Illinois fan as well, and we were both saying, uh, that Brandon Paul was really rough down the stretch. I mean, oh my goodness, good. he couldn't dribble. Yeah, he he dribbled into that. Uh, he dribbled into the the, uh, the double team there, and then it, it should have been called for backcourt violation. Somehow they got the inbound pass, and then he throws away the inbound pass, and that's when uh, they get the and one and the the intentional foul with Tisdale. Yes, Brandon Paul made that three there at the end to sort of keep the game alive, but uh, I thought he really mismanaged that down the stretch. Yeah, he has not played well this year. You know, if you have a, if you have trouble shooting the ball every once in a while, you're going to deal with that. This is you know, it's 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 basketball. Yeah. But having the difficulty dribbling the ball is absolutely unacceptable. Bruce Weber makes a great call by calling a timeout, and they don't get the backcourt violation, even though they really should have. That was a really bad play by the official. <laughs> and then Bruce Weber messes up by keeping him on the court and letting him throw in the inbound pass, and it was a lazy one to Demetri McCamey that basically yep. resulted in two points. Yeah, I can't believe that they let him inbound that ball, and it, it turned into, I think it was a, a six-point possession, 
And after that, uh, the wheels pretty much fell off. So Illinois goes down to Missouri. That, that was a, probably a, a pretty tough way to, to enter into the Big Ten season for the Illini, especially coming off that UIC game. But, uh, you said you were, great night at TV last night. You said you watched a little Boise, uh, caught a little of the Bulls. Carlos Boozer took over last night. Uh, that's good to know. If you're going to pay a guy the maximum yep. deal, you want him to play as a teammate and, you know, be a good guy and all that stuff, but you also want him to take over when they have a mismatch. And, uh, yesterday he definitely had one. I mean, I didn't watch too much of the Bulls, but I was, was Blatch must have been the guy that was guarding him, right? Yes, it was Andre Blatch, and let's just say, uh, he did not play very well. Well, I don't know how, how he did offensively, because I didn't watch much of the game. Three but for I 14 know, like, from you, the field. Well, if you have an, like, a fantasy team, you want Andre Blatch on your team. If you have a real team, you don't want him anywhere near your team. Yeah. That guy doesn't play a lick of defense. No, and he doesn't. So uh, I mentioned that to my buddies before the game yesterday, and they were like, yeah, he didn't do anything. He just kind of stood there. <laughs> yeah, the numbers on Boozer, and, and mind you, the the Bulls, they only put up 87 points. They beat the Wizards 87-80. Boozer had 30 of those points. He had 10 rebounds and 7 assists. Wow, that's a nice line right there. That is a very nice line. Derek Rose, uh, I thought, didn't even really play his best game, but he still had 25 points, 5 assists, and 5 rebounds. Um, if you can get that uh, stat line from Rose on a night where maybe he's not playing his best. Uh, I'll take that. So, but but the good thing here is, even with Joe Kim Noah out, the Bulls are doing what they're supposed to do against some of these lowly teams in the NBA because they have a pretty soft schedule. Um, it started about a week ago and it will continue for about another uh, week and a half. So I think I think if the Bulls can come out of this with with you know, a, a very good win streak or a good record against these uh, low opponents, I think they can maybe stick it out until Noah comes back. Uh, I think they should be able to do it no matter what. I mean, I know they're going to probably lose one or two games directly for him not being there. Right. But I don't think that should be that big of an issue. Uh, in some ways, they might be able to get stronger from it. Now, why are they going with Kirk Thomas starting instead of Ashik? Do you think they just want to make sure Ashik knows his role when I, when Noah comes back so he doesn't have to get readjusted to everybody? Yeah, I, I, I think that's probably some of it. I, I think Kurt Thomas has been playing well. I, I like the way he's been playing. You know, that's maybe what he did yesterday. Yeah. Or the day before the, against the 76ers, yeah. he definitely did. Yeah, but I, I think maybe they're just – Easing Ashik into it, maybe because they know they know Omer Ashik's going to get more minutes here down the next down the stretch in the next few months. Maybe they're easing him into it because I think Kurt Thomas just has so much experience. He's that kind of wily veteran. Um, so so maybe it's more of a transition for Ashik to the point where maybe they'll slowly start to fade Thomas's minutes back and and increase Ashik's. Uh, that could be it. Yeah, and uh, maybe that's what it is. And I just hope in general. Uh, Thibodeau actually starts giving everybody a little bit more minutes. I, I don't think Rose needs to play as much as he plays. Uh, I agree. I really want less minutes from the starters in general uh, from this team. When the, if the Bulls are up 20 with four minutes to go, Derek Rose should not be on the floor, and he has been on the floor in way too many of those situations this year. Neil Malone and joining us via the telephone, Big Joel, Big Doug Joel Radwanski. Call in 888-463-6748. It's an open uh, second half hour of the show, we'll talk anything that you're interested in. The Bulls win last night in Washington. 
The Hawks win last night at the United Center 4-1 to over the Preds. Uh, you said you probably didn't catch that game, but once again, it's Corey Crawford in net. I believe he is 10-1-1 and in his last 12 starts. Yeah, I, I, I was able to catch a, a, like a little bit of the Hawks game last night. Uh, without question, the best thing coming out of this season so far is uh, not only the stories you get about Patrick Kane off the ice, it's uh, Corey Crawford on the ice. So yep. it's, it's like no reason to don't. He, they still have a chance to win the cup again this year. But I mean, not how they're playing right now. But if Crawford continues to play the way he has been, and all of a sudden the rest of the team wakes up, maybe they get on a little run. And if they get in the playoffs, I don't think home ice is really going to matter for them at all. So. Uh, still, I think there's a chance, and it's funny, as Corey Crawford is the one, the, a guy that you never would have thought would be the one at the at the beginning of the year. He's the one that's actually keeping their hopes alive for a Stanley Cup. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I don't know if it's the goaltending coaching staff or, or the scouting or whatever, but no one expected Niemi to be the way he was last year. And I, I know they were, they've been high on Crawford for a couple of years. He just hasn't gotten the opportunity. But I don't think anybody expected him to be this good either. And I, I like that you mentioned that, that they still have a chance to win the Cup because, I mean, look at last year. The Canadians and the, the Flyers made – the Flyers went all the way to the Stanley Cup, obviously, and the Canadians went to the uh, the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, they were both eight seeds. So it's one of those – things where if you get hot at the right time your goal is just to make the playoffs and go from there yeah and if you think about it there's a couple things that haven't happened yet for the chicago blackhawks one they really haven't gelled as a team okay and i'm going to i'm going to admit to you right now if the bulls are on and if the hawks are on i'm watching the hawks so i'll catch i'll catch the bulls later if Illinois you. basketball or any type of college football or pro football game is on, I'm not watching the Blackhawks, okay? So uh, my pecking order changed a long time ago when I learned about Bill Wirtz, okay? So right. I, 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 didn't yep. re, I didn't readjust it just because the Hawks won the, the Cup last year. Yeah, so no, I, I agree. That Bill Wirtz factor was huge. So, I, you know, I have readjusted how much I watch the Hawks, you know, a, a little bit over the last three years. So I can't say I watch them every single game. Right. But they haven't gelled as a team yet. You know, they don't seem to like know where everybody else is at. That's one. And the other thing, the, uh, maybe even more important, because if this happens, they will gel. Is their superstars haven't taken over yet? Like Kane and, and, and Taves. Yeah, and they also haven't been on the ice as much. Well, uh, maybe uh, maybe that's good from Quinville because he he really has to find out the new guys that have been brought in, if the, which ones can play. Right. And might as well find out in December and in November rather than in March. And and then also the fact that, I mean, these guys did play a lot of hockey oh, last year when you consider all the games in the regular season, the Olympics, and in the in the playoffs. So I'm, I'm not complaining too much about them not being on the ice as much. No, I, I agree with you. And there have been several games lately where, you, you know, you look at the box score afterwards and the goal scorers aren't, Taves, Sharp, guys like that, they're skilly, they're Bickle. I mean, last night you had Dave Boland, Brian Bickle, and Jack Skilly. Uh, Jack Skilly had two goals in that game. He now has four goals against the Predators this season. He has two two-goal games against Nashville. Um, but, but yeah, they, the other guys have been kind of making up for 
uh, either the absences of Hosa and Kane to injury or maybe the underperformance of Taves. And I don't, I don't know if that's maybe the NHL uh, coaches and other players recognizing that these guys are superstars now uh, and maybe paying a lot more attention to them. But I like the way the Hawks' uh, younger guys and maybe third, fourth-line guys have been playing. No, no, that is that. There has been a lot of surprises from guys that you know we had no idea who they were. You know, in the middle of October, that so there there is some definitely there's some silver linings around the Blackhawks right now because when you figure out where their issues are, those are things that you would have to think will get better throughout the year. So, and, and when you're talking about like the, <laughs> their big money guys, I haven't really produced all that much. They're going to. Yeah. So it's not like Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane just no, had I'm not a good second half of last year. So, well, now in the Western Conference, the Hawks are as high as the sixth spot. If you look at the in terms of points in the Western Conference, they have 41 points in 36 games. They had such a front-loaded schedule where they, at one point earlier on, they had almost six or seven games in hand uh, to some of the other teams. Now the other teams' schedules are starting to catch up a little bit. And the Hawks have been playing better, so I think uh, I think they're they're going to be just fine. I think they're in prime position, especially if they keep playing like this. Once again, the Hawks win four to one last night. Neil Malone and the big dog Joel Radwanski here on Two Guys and Mike on TalkZone.com. Call in if you want eight 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 four six three six seven four eight. Do you have any interest in the Thursday night football game tonight? Uh. I, I hate to tell you, but if there's human beings running into each other at full speed, typically I will be watching the game. But I, I do have to admit that uh, the nurse is coming out to Aurora tonight, so I, I have to like go out to dinner and I got to do all that. Other okay, stuff, you know, take them out dancing, all that. You know, I got to do the the boyfriend thing every once in a while. So, well, that's all right. You should be happy to know then. It's it's obviously the Carolina Panthers visiting the Pittsburgh Steelers. So not only do the Steelers get the the Jimmy Clausen led Panthers who are two and twelve on the season they also get them at home at Heinz Field I think it's going to be an absolute disaster well, uh, if you if you have the Steelers defense and fantasy it's it's probably championship week in your fantasy league start yeah, them it, it, it is I'm in I have to admit I'm in four leagues I'm in I'm in the championship in three leagues and wow uh, and I'm going up against the Pittsburgh Steelers defense so uh, that I don't even want to watch it but I have to admit I'm a huge historian. Probably surprised you a little bit because I'm such a like a, a sports nerd. I'm glad. But I got to tell you something. I have always wanted to go to the Coliseum and see a bunch of Christians killed. Okay, <laughs> so maybe this is this is what it would have been like back in the day when yeah the Carolina Panthers go in and face the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, it's going to be something like that. It, yeah, you're pretty much Steelers just feeding them to the dogs tonight. <laughs> they put beat downs on people, but at least the Panthers looked pretty good. They looked like an NFL team for only the second time all season last week. So. Maybe. They were playing the Cardinals, though, in the crap bowl of 2010, uh, the Cardinals-Panthers. But I agree. Do you do you think Jimmy Clausen is fearing for his life tonight? I mean, James Harrison, Troy Palomalu lining up on the other side at Heinz Field with playoff implications for the Steelers. I mean, A must win for the Steelers. Let's face yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I would not want to be Jimmy Clausen. I wouldn't even want to be the backup quarterback. Uh, is it Brian St. Pierre, Matt Moore? Who knows? Because I, I don't think Clawson's making it all the way through this game the way James Harrison's been hitting people. Um, I'm going to tell you this straight up right now, and I mean this. I'm, I'm not just saying this trying to be funny. I would be more than happy 
to be Jimmy Clausen tonight. <laughs> Mr. Heat, second round deal. He's probably making what two and a half million this year. He so. has a lot of money. Yes, he and does. He's going to make about a hundred and eighty thousand dollars this day just to get hit by a couple people that are bigger, stronger, and faster than him. I'd be more than happy to take the abuse. Neil Malone just, and just the big... out there, I don't feel sorry for anybody getting paid two and a half million dollars when they get their, uh, their ass handed to them, Neil. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, hey, don't turn on ESPN right now. They're showing the Missoula-Illinois highlights. Just saw that intentional foul again on replay. But we're going to take a quick break here on Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. Back with the Big Dong in a second. Uh, I've got a list of the top sporting moments in Chicago uh, this past year in 2010. I want to see what the big dog thinks of those. So we'll get to that after the break. Neil Malone, TalkZone.com, two guys and a mic. Back for a final time, two guys in a mic, TalkZone.com. Neil Malone joined on the phone by the big dog, Joel Radwanski. We're in for the coach today. And big dog, I've got a list of some of Chicago's top sporting moments. And it's actually, it's on ChicagoNow.com. And it, it was one of their writers that just basically said, all right, readers, give me your top moments. And so it's kind of from a fan perspective. If you want to call in, obviously, 888-463-6748 and give us some of your Chicago sporting moments of the year or even national sporting moments of the year, please do. But I've got a list here. Um, obviously, the Blackhawks winning the Stanley Cup has to be number one. Did you make the parade? I was not, I was in Minnesota this entire summer doing minor league baseball. Were you able to go to the parade? Uh, I was definitely at the parade, and I was smart enough. I looked at the parade route, so I stood on Michigan Avenue on one of the pillars that where you can come, where Washington, right at Washington Avenue. So mm-hmm. the buses came right at me. They were hanging off the the buses, shaking the stand the cup. I was ten feet away from them. They turned. Everybody else ran, and I was like, I could care less about hearing these speeches, and I left. <laughs> now, were they throwing anything off the floats or the buses, or did you get any? Oh, yeah, they were, like, throwing, like, uh, the players weren't. They were just too busy basking in the glory, but uh, the snow hose or the ice girls, right. what do they call them? I, I think they call them the ice girls. Maybe that term, the, the first term you use, maybe that's maybe one of the, the fan terms for it. <laughs> okay, actually, I think it is one of the, <laughs> I really don't know what they call them. I just like, I like that term. So, yeah. uh yeah, so, so they were throwing T-shirts and stuff and hats. It was pretty cool. So obviously, you know, a championship in this city has to be the number one moment. But you also had a, a plenty of stuff going on um, this year. You had uh, Northwestern and Illinois play uh, football at Wrigley Field. I'm sure you liked that game as an Illinois fan. Mikel Ashore ran for what 330. 29 yards or 337 yards in that game. That was really cool to see uh, kind of the, the transformation of Wrigley Field there. Oh, that was phenomenal. It was out for that game. That was uh, what an atmosphere in Wrigley Field. It, it just it just proves that 
you know, like Wrigley Field is like the perfect like post college atmosphere. Like if you're 24 and you went to Michigan State and you're from Michigan, well, yep. the only place to get a job is Chicago. So you go to Chicago and you become a Tiger slash Cub fan. If you're from Iowa, you know you you moved uh, moved to Chicago right. and you become a Cub fan. I mean, that's the reason why uh, the the Cubs have kind of like a bad rap from a being a uh, having to being like a party. Atmosphere right, right. because so many people move in, and they you go to you move to the north side and you hang out and you party. So that was just a that was a really cool thing, and and I like that they they made it into such a big event. They transformed uh, even the Wrigley Field marquee, and they they made it into almost a, a northwestern campus uh, feel to it. Uh, what I didn't I didn't know that they were planning on making it into a northwestern atmosphere i thought wrigley field was just going to be the neutral site using it kind of as a vehicle for the two teams but it was actually a very northwestern heavy event but still a great in-state rivalry and like you said plenty of fans from each side um and that was just a really cool day having espn game day out there i think it was that was definitely one of the top moments of the year yeah it definitely was i couldn't agree more my whole life i always wanted Whenever I go to a, a, a Cub game, I'm not kidding you. Every time I've ever been to a Cub game, I always would picture what my seat would make, how the field would look like from where I was sitting. And so yep. finally, actually, I know they, it's not going in the same direction as it used to and all that other stuff, but it was just cool to, uh, you know, to have that. I've always wanted, there's been more football games at Wrigley Field than any other stadium in the history of the NFL besides uh, the Meadowlands, where the, the Jets and the Giants played for all those years. So it's, it's there's been a lot of football games there, and there hasn't been one for 40 years. So I thought it was cool. Well, and, and this is a list from ChicagoNow.com, some fans responding with their top Chicago sporting moments of the year. I like this one, Ozzie Gian joining Twitter. Now, I, are you on Twitter? Uh, absolutely. Well, you don't follow me? I, I well I need to be I, so now I know so now I can now I can search for you I'm also on Twitter and I have to admit I at first I was not planning on joining it but but I really you know have grown to like it and that's how I get a lot of my news but I definitely follow Ozzy Gian I don't know if you do but uh, he is fantastic to follow on Twitter now considering that it's really only his son that's doing it. Well, but still, the fact that yeah. Ozzy has to take the rap for it, it's still just as good. If it is Oni doing it, then he does a pretty good job of uh, of acting that it like like Ozzy, acting like his father, because he does some pretty fun or he says some pretty funny stuff in in multiple languages on uh, on Twitter. So uh, I thought I thought that was a pretty good one. Shifted gears though, how about at Soldier Field, man? I mean, I I don't think anybody thought the Bears were going to win the NFC North this year. Yeah, they've caught some breaks here and there going against Tyler Thigpen. Uh, Todd Collins throwing four interceptions against the Panthers and still winning the Calvin Johnson thing in week one. I mean, we've had our fair share of things go our way this year, but a division championship, that's got to be one of the top sporting moments of the year. Without a doubt. It, yeah. You know what? Uh, I thought the Bears were going to be good all year long, and then – you know, the, I don't know. It's, I almost seem like vindicated for some of these people. They're going to suck. They're going to be. They're going to win four games. Those are the people that all they think about is like, can a team pass the ball? They don't realize. And in, in order to win in football, you got to play great defense, have great special teams, and be smart on offense, and don't turn the ball over. And it's, I, I you know, I hate to. If, if you're a football fan and that bores you and it makes you less of a football fan, I'm sorry. Yeah. But to be honest with you, that's what you do in order to win football games. Very rarely do teams like uh, the Saints 
you know, win the Super Bowl by being so flamboyant and, uh, you know, doing everything like so specialized. But then again, the Saints also had a great defense and special teams last year who did this, the defense turned the ball over all the time. So I, I'm, I love the way the Bears are doing it this year. Yeah, it's, football. It, it's been really fun to watch. And uh, I'm sure uh, later on in the week and, and definitely um, on Monday, we'll have plenty of analysis and, and breakdown of the Bears Jets uh, here on Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone. Com. So, yeah, those are some of the top sporting moments of the year, Chicago style. Uh, I wanted to bring up before before we end the show um, something that was in the Chicago Tribune today. Paul Sullivan and, and obviously Ron Santo passing was one of the one of the tragic things of the year. But it was it was great to see how he was remembered and kind of yeah. go through all the memories of of Ronnie. I know we've talked about him a bunch on this show. I know you and Coach uh, like to like to do your Ron Sano impressions and everything, but Paul Sullivan wrote an article today um, speculating about who is going to be in the broadcast booth with Pat Hughes. Pat just signed a, a new deal with WGN Radio. To, to Is it a lifetime contract? Because if it isn't, WGN just didn't sign him for long enough as far as I'm concerned. I love that man. I, I love him too. He He's one of the best play-by-play guys, one of my favorite in any sport, but Sullivan lists um, sort of a candidate list. Uh, these are former Cubs players that have gone on to do media work, and I mean it's a, it's a laundry list. I mean you you have a lot of guys to choose from. Um, obviously, guys Keith like Moreland, by the way, should be the one. You think it's Keith? I it's it, it should be Keith Moreland. I don't know if it's going to be. Of all because all the guys that I've heard do games, mm-hmm. whether Bob Brenly or uh, or Ronnie, couldn't work. By far the best was Keith Moreland. Okay, I will let's hear the list. But no, I just wanted, I, and just I throw it out beforehand. I just wanted to throw. That's what I wanted to say. He's so. on there. He he uh, is currently a broadcaster for University of Texas and their uh, baseball program with Augie Garrido. Um, he he was my favorite in terms of the fill-ins uh, for Ronnie when Ronnie uh, couldn't make mm-hmm. the road trips or had maybe a health issue uh, here and there. Uh, Keith Moreland filled in, so did Dave Otto, but I preferred Moreland uh, in terms of those two. But but let me just go through this list, and it just shows you, um, and I'm not saying these guys are right for the job necessarily, but okay. Doug Glanville works for ESPN. Mark Grace works for the Diamondbacks. Todd Hollinsworth works for Comcast Sportsnet. Eric Karos works for Fox. Gary Matthews works for the Phillies. Uh, we mentioned Moreland and Otto. Dan Plezak, MLB Network. Steve Stone, the White Sox. Rick Sutcliffe, ESPN. Mitch Williams, MLB Network. I mean, that is, that's a lot of former players that have gone on to media careers. Uh, any other names besides Moreland jump out of you there? Um, obviously Steve Stone. You talk about Steve right. Stone coming back to the Cubs and just having Steve Stone, whose knowledge of, of how to play the game and also knowledge of the history of the game to go along with Pat Hughes knowledge of the history and also how to play the game and and then the way they have a sense of humor that could be a magical combination to be honest with you uh, but uh, the other guys like all of them are talented uh, i don't know how much of the sense of humor any of them would have uh Sutcliffe and Grace have a pretty good sense of humor i okay. like Sutcliffe and Grace I, I you know i i would love it if mark grace was the was the next analyst i i would have no problem with either Sutcliffe or Grace in terms of how cuz they would be funny they would definitely be funny one thing I don't know how funny Moreland would be, but I know I, I yeah. think he would because uh, Pat Hughes is so good at bringing out the humor in somebody else. But when yeah. when Moreland was doing games, he would call out the Cubs for not playing well, which I always thought like, wow, 
he's here like as a guest, and yet right. he's willing to give his own opinion. I really appreciated that about him. So I, I could imagine that if he was there every day, you would really get a sense of right or wrong, and you would really get that passion of, hey, you know, this guy has to play better, or, oh, he really seemed to be, he really got into the game. Sutcliffe and Grace would be the same way, too. I think they would really wear their hearts on the sleeve, and you know what? It's the Cubs broadcast, so I don't mind having a homer whatsoever if yeah. it's the Cubs broadcast. Well, and, and Ronnie was such a was such a great homer that I think that's kind of the, what the broadcast has evolved into. Yeah, I would say uh, my top four would be if I'm interviewing today. I'm interviewing Grace Moreland, uh, Stoney, and and Rick Sutcliffe. Though that that would be my top four in terms of the next Cubs broadcasters. Before we let you go, I wanted to get to this earlier in the show. Couldn't. Uh, are you a home alone guy or are you a Christmas vacation guy? Oh, I, that that's a that's a real tough call. It because is because I've never seen Home Alone. What? I've never seen the Jimmy Stewart movie too. What's that one? Like it's he, a Wonderful Life. Yeah, I've never seen it's a Wonderful Life. It's not even my time. Yeah, but uh, okay. Well, those Home Alone and Christmas Vacation were the two that stuck out to me in terms of holiday movie. But you you do like Christmas Vacation, obviously. Great oh, movie. No, I, I loved Christmas Vacation. If that cat had nine lives, he sure did spend them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cousin Eddie and, uh, and Clark Griswold. Absolutely fantastic movie. Thanks for joining us, uh, Big Dog, here on the show. I also want to thank my buddy Craig Choco. We broke down Big Ten basketball earlier in the show. I appreciate everybody listening, and we will catch you Again tomorrow, two guys and a mic on TalkZone.com.